This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here as ever with Ruth. Hello. Ruth is joining us from um, what I thought was a wine bar, but it is in fact a cafe somewhere. She is still on her travels around America. Still in Oregon. I'm in a town called Prairie City and it is as cliched as that sounds. Well, I'm sat in my front room having just taught uh, middle school and high school boys football training at the end of the day. So I think whether it's a coffee or a wine, you absolutely win. Um, we're going to talk today, obviously, about football. This is not just a, a travel show about Ruth. Um, we're going to talk uh, about the Azerbaijan and the Belarus games that are coming up. We're going to talk about potential problem positions. Uh, we're going to talk about preferred lineups, who's going to play at the back. Uh, we're also going to have a quick chat about the women's games against... Uh, the Faroe Islands and against Northern Ireland. Tonight, the women have drawn 2-2 at home at Rodney Parade uh, with Northern Ireland. So we'll cover that briefly as well. We're going to do a full pod on that uh, with Tash Harding in, in the next week or so. And we will obviously have a full debrief of, of the two games then. Um, so let's start to talk about the Azerbaijan game, Ruth. Um, we've identified a few problem positions or potential problem positions what do you see as problem positions i think there's a some of the positions are not so much problems as you just have to make decisions based on you know two maybe even three players the the what sticks out as the actual problem position for me is who to pair with joe allen um ampadu seems like the obvious choice but I am a little bit reluctant given the lack of play he's been getting um, over in Leipzig. So I think that's, for me, that's the the hardest, most problematic decision. Some of the other positions are more sort of tactical choices, um, which obviously we will explore, but they don't feel quite as problematic as, for me at least, as that particular position. No, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. I think, for me, Ampadu kind of picks himself in that role for a, for a couple of reasons one is you know Matt Smith and I'll, I'll come on to a bit more detail of him later isn't really putting up any trees at QPR uh, and also Ampadu hasn't been playing for Chelsea when he stepped in and, and played well for us so I think he's good enough that he can step in and be Joe Allen's kind of natural partner in that midfield. And I think him not playing just because of how talented he is for one, but also how good physical shape he's in, you know, he's great dynamically, he's fast, he's strong. And obviously, as I said, you know, technically he's fantastic. He's a great passer of the ball. So I don't see his lack of playing time in the short term, at least being that big an issue, to be honest. Yeah, I can't, I can't really disagree with that. I think, what concerns me is he's he kind of is picking himself as it were and so to my mind that that i'm always a bit wary of someone kind of having a place by default um whereas some of the other positions you're making choices sort of conscious choices tactical choices whereas i feel ampadu's kind of reversing into that position with primarily because there isn't competition for it and that just makes me a little uneasy I think I think you're right and I think longer term I think that's a a, a bigger problem um you know Andy King is getting a bit older Volks who I think has potential is more of a destructive breakup kind of player than the than the player who's able to pass and spray the ball around like Ampadu so I think his lack of playing time is also is not as much of an issue longer term because I think that'll come. I think the longer term problem is if, you know, there's no other player I don't think who has anywhere near the ability that Ampadu has. And like you say, he's kind of reversing into that role now because there's no competition. But long term, I think that role is going to be his. And I think the sooner he can build up a partnership with Joe Allen, the better, to be honest. I, I actually think that last bit's really important because you, we've seen lately... Joe being effective, yes, but not at the level that he was when he had a steady partner, when Ledley was right next to him, and they knew exactly what the other was going to do. And I, I do think your point about letting them develop a partnership, a real partnership, and give it some stability 
is actually really important. Um, I think that's the that's the first time you've complimented me on the, on something I've said football wise in ages, Ruth. I'm I'm, I'm almost in tears here. <laughs> um, I have done a bit of digging on Matt Smith whilst we're on the midfield area. Um, spoken to a QPR supporting friend of mine. Hello again, O's. Um, from what he's seen and heard and and and, and everything else. It seems like Matt Smith didn't arrive quite in the physical shape that uh, Warburton, the manager, wanted, um, and he didn't get a start in the in his preferred role in midfield. Uh, Amos and Cameron, two other players, were preferred in the in the holding spot, if you like, in the, in their midfield. Um, he's played in the League Cup in a more advanced role, sort of a number ten. So I'm not sure if that's where he may see himself uh, in the future. I think the big thing that it, that comes from the conversation I've had with those is that the step up of physicality and time you have on the ball and everything else from the secondary division to the championship has, has really kind of taken its toll. And it doesn't seem like he's physically ready or is kind of used to the, the time or the lack of time you have on the ball, the amount of pressing that goes on and kind of is a bit, is a bit lightweight uh, in that area. Coupled with, again, according to, to O's, that he, midfield is probably the most competitive area of the pitch to get a start in place for QPR. So when you put all those factors together, there are quite a lot of things there that are kind of standing in Matt Smith's way. And the, the, the ultimate concern about his physicality for me still remains. And for, from what I was just saying, that seems that seems to ring true there as well. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because one of the things we said that was a positive outcome of him moving there was the fact that he'd have to mix it up a little bit in the championship in a way that he hadn't had to do in the in the Netherlands. And so if he's not actually gaining that experience, um, and that's going to be a hold on his progression, um, ironically, uh, in exactly the area where he needs it. No, I, I agree with you. It's it's an interesting one. The, the, the counter-argument to that, I'd say, is perhaps that in international football, it's not as physical a game perhaps uh, Azerbaijan maybe aside but it's not as physical and you probably do get a little bit more time on the ball in international football as kind of teams feel each out uh, feel each other out a little bit so perhaps his kind of skill set is more suited to to international football but I mean I don't know I'm just kind of I'm hypothesizing there a little bit but either way I do think this game has kind of come too soon to for him in the in a I think it will be quite a physical game but also um I think Ampadu is you know kind of head and shoulders above him in terms of what he can bring to that midfield as a as a long-term partner for Alan yeah I can't disagree with that I think as I said I would I would be picking Ampadu with Alan I just um I think it's a, a difficult and interesting one because of quite exactly what are we looking for in that partnership and what are we hoping each of them will bring to the table um and i think we won't know until we give it an opportunity to develop no absolutely and i think as as you said there i think it developing is is a really really important aspect of the future of welsh football i think in the next kind of five years or so so i think the sooner we can get a jump on that regardless of how much playing time ampadu is getting um uh, the better um to move it on just a little bit to potential problems um the big one of my biggest issues is the goalkeepers hennessy's never kind of let us down before in the past but equally none of the three players there were goalkeepers in the squad playing regularly. I personally was disappointed that Owen Vaughan Williams wasn't in the squad. Um, so it's it's an interesting one, really, in the sense that I think Hennessy, there's no question he'll start. But longer term, does it start to become a problem if none of those three people are playing regular football? I think if we were discussing this in a month's time ahead of the October games and the pattern had continued, then I think yes, it would it would become much more of a red flag. At, at this point in the season, I think it's it's Hennessy's place kind of de facto at the moment, particularly when none of the three that are in the squad basically are, are playing any football. Um, I agree with you as we discussed in the the last pod, um, not including Owen von Williams in that, particularly in that bigger squad, and ensuring that you at least had an option of one goalkeeper with some with some playing time under his belt seemed seemed an, an oversight particularly in that that larger squad um but i think right now the the, the job is hennessy's for, for this competitive game absolutely and i think the reality is as well as as unless 
one of the other two in Danny Ward or Adam Davis start playing regularly, it's kind of a moot point really in a month's time as well because it doesn't matter if, if all three of them aren't playing, then there's no reason to take the shirt off Hennessy. And I'm not sure that if Owen Vaughan Williams does come in, that I would automatically take that shirt off him either. But I mean, it, it gets to a point where you'd think, well, you know, we're four months into a season, say, and all of a sudden, Hennessy has played two games and they're both for Wales or whatever, you do start to question whether someone like Owen would come into the team automatically, let alone just a squad, just on the basis that he is playing regular football. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, it's you know, it's a little high in the sky at the minute until we reach that scenario. It's one of the reasons that for me, it doesn't really feel like a problem position only in the sense that there, there isn't actually a choice to make there right now of those three that are in the squad you'd start Hennessy no I, I can't argue there I think you're absolutely I think you're absolutely spot on it's just I think it's an interesting thing and I do think it's something that needs to be on Giggs's mind kind of a little bit further down the line do you want to have a chat about the defensive makeup while we're at that end of the of the pitch absolutely absolutely um do you before we talk about what we think Giggs will do, would you go for four at the back or five? I would go for four in this game because I, I want that extra person up front. No, I, I, I agree with you there. Plus, I wouldn't say we have kind of a shortage of options at the back, but equally we certain aren't at full strength at the back. Um, so I don't think we have quite as many options there. No, I think a standard back four makes more sense, particularly if you're playing Ampadu as one of those holding midfielders. You know you're going to get some some defensive support from him as well. I, I agree, I agree. Who who would you go for as the as the back four? Okay, I think Connor Roberts on, on the right is an easy one. Um and Mepham. And then I think it's the other two positions that become more interesting. Um I think it's a very even choice for me between Lockyer and, and Rodden. Uh, they're both obviously playing really well. have made really good starts to the season. Um, I think out with Lockyer, just because he's got a slightly bit more experience in, um, in what, after all, is a, is a game we've got to win. And then going to... The left, again, I think it's a really difficult choice between Davies and Taylor. And this, you know, these come into the scenario of, of being good choices, you know, tactical choices rather than problems. I think right now I would probably go with Davies because I just want a little bit of maturity and experience across that back line. I think the Davis point is a fair one, although I would counter that by saying I'm not sure it is as much a choice as a tactical issue anymore in the sense that I think Davis, I read somewhere, has played three minutes of Premier League football this season. Yeah, I just think that overall you're looking at a relatively uncapped other three back there. I just think his ability to kind of marshal people a little bit might be helpful. I mean, for what it's worth, I, I, I entirely agree with you. Um, I would do things in a slightly different way to you, but in terms of having Davis there, I would. Um, I think Mepham for me is a nailed on, and I think so is Connor Roberts. But elsewhere, it's an interesting decision. I think, I think Lockyer is playing well from what I've read and seen, and he's played with Mepham before. Whilst Rodden's also playing well, it would also be his international debut, and I just don't think as good as Rodden has been, that we need to throw the dice here and chuck someone like Rodden. And I don't doubt that he would do a good job. But I just don't think we need to take that risk. I think it's a much more calculated risk in terms of fitness and playing time and whatnot to play Ben Davis there. So if it were me to add some experience alongside uh, uh, Roberts and Mepham, I would play... Ben Davis at centre half with Taylor at left back. Oh, I can. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a sort of interesting permutation on on how to use him, isn't it? To pull it to pull him inside a little bit. Um, my concern there would be just asking him to play a little bit out of position with a partner he doesn't know, giving Meps another partner he hasn't worked with before. Uh, I just wonder whether that's just one variable we don't need to introduce. I mean, that's true. I, I, 
I would also just counter that briefly with, he had, whilst he has played with Lockyer before, I think it's only fleetingly. I, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't actually think they've started a game together. Now I've said that, I'm not sure who started the Albania game at, at centre-halves, but I think they have not started a game together before. And if they have, it'll only be one. And they've had kind of substitute appearances together, and I appreciate they work together in training. But also, you're right, it would probably be a new centre-back partner, but by the same token, the alternative is someone who's only actually played for Wales for once or twice as well. So I, I don't think... I, I think Ben Davis's experience would outweigh the fact that they haven't played as centre-back partners together before. Yeah, I think... I, I mean, I, ca- I can't really argue with your thinking. It's just... I don't think I'd want to open up that particular uncertainty. No, that's fair. And I don't, for what it's worth, I don't think Giggs will do it. Um, I think Rodden, unfortunately, of the of the centre-backs we have available there, uh, as the second centre-back alongside Mepham, between Rodden, Lockyer and uh, James Lawrence, I think Rodden is probably third on that list in terms of who Giggs is likely to play. Um, and the fact that James Lawrence is playing regularly now for St. Pauli since he's gone there, he scored on his debut, I think, as well. So I, I think those things push Rodden to the back of the queue um, further. But I, I would play him against Belarus in a you know, low-pressure low environment, but I think for the game against Azerbaijan, I think it's got to be either Lockyer or Ben Davis. Okay, well, my vote goes to Lockyer, but we'll we'll see. Yes, we will. Again, just to be clear, I'm not saying necessarily. Well, that's what I think will happen. It's just what I would do. Um, we've talked a little bit there about uh, Alan and Ampadu, so we we don't really need to go over the midfield. I don't think. Um, the most interesting part for me is, and we were talking before, kind of like tactical problems in inverted commas or tactical decisions to be made and that is the front line assuming we're kind of doing the same formation of like four two three one um who would your three and one be well i think three of the four are easy decisions james and wilson and bale and i think it's actually the fourth person that becomes interesting um I'd go with Johnny Williams because I, I just love that sort of terrier approach to his game. I think in what I watched when Azerbaijan played Hungary, someone running at them uh, would be a real asset. Uh, that would mean obviously pushing Bale up as the, the closest thing to a striker with the other three operating behind him. No, I can I can see that, and I think your comment there about watching Azerbaijan Hungary is an interesting one. I, I went back and watched a few highlights of that game today. They they won three one, and you know, let's not get you know forget Azerbaijan aren't mugs. They scored first against Croatia. Croatia only won that game two one with a goal ten minutes from time. Whilst Hungary won three one, it looks comfortable in principle. They you know they were only two one up at one point. Azerbaijan got a goal back, so. You know, I, I don't think they're going to be mugs. The one thing I will say is that three of the two of the three goals, sorry, against Hungary came from crosses, and one came from a wide player cutting in a quick exchange with someone in the middle and then shooting. So, for that reason, I would kind of look at it a slightly different way to you. I think they're going to be quite physical side, but they're also fairly immobile. And I think we would we need someone who's a hold-up man, kind of like Giroud does for France, where he doesn't necessarily score all the goals, but his, his hold-up play and his build-up play is kind of invaluable. I would, in a, a fairly immobile, um, kind of big, strong defensive line, I would put Vokes up there as a hold-up man and use someone to kind of, distract almost if you like the the Azerbaijan players and, and draw draw them in so I'd play him as a nine I would play Bale on the right hand side with him cutting in onto his left I would play James on the left hand side cutting in on his right and then Harry Wilson in behind is kind of a number 10. I can see the argument for having um, some heading you know prowess up there and obviously Bokes is probably top of the list for that um I think I'd I think I'd keep him on the bench and and just go down that route with 
you know, 30, 25 minutes to go if, if things are tighter than, than one would hope they would be by that point in the game. I think I think that's fair. I, I just feel like Bale as a number nine, and I think we thought this was going to be the answer. I feel like it's a bit like we've... It's like you get the big kid at school or the fast kid at school and you just stick him up front and hope that it works out. And I know he's better than just the fast kid. But I think he's our best player. So we've just thought, right, play him a striker and he'll he'll score us a goal. I, I don't think it's worked for us. It's certainly not worked for him. So I think he should go back to where he's best. And I think part of our problem against Hungary um, and a lesser extent against Croatia is we kind of shoehorned people into positions and we don't need to do that. We've got the flexibility to to do things in a certain way, and I think we need to play to our strengths and also try and exploit some of Azerbaijan's weaknesses. And I think just, I think personally, playing Giggs up front as a nine, and again, I don't, I think it'll happen, but I think playing him as a nine isolates him. I actually think it plays into opposition's hands, and I think, and I think that takes him from the game when I think he can be more valuable to us from a wide position. There was a Freudian slip there when you said playing gigs up front as a number nine. Oh, <laughs> like did I? That. Oh, God. Um, no, I can't, I can't argue with the premise of whether Bale is in the right position there. Um, I think one of the strengths we had three, four years ago was that we enable people to play to their strengths. And I don't think we are necessarily doing with that, that with him at the minute. Totally. However, agree. I just feel that I, I like the options that three, three sort of behind him and rotating a bit can bring rather than just going straight to the big man up front. I, I agree with you. Perhaps it is a weakness for Azerbaijan. And, you know, so perhaps I'm naive in, in not wanting to go down that route. Um, but I, I would rather keep the mobility that you get from having the four of them and then just have folks as a backup if needed. I mean, I mean, it's not a bad problem to have either way, I suppose, is it? You know, have, having this kind of an embarrassment of riches is maybe a bit strong, but having this, you know, very quality attacking line. And let's not forget, we're also missing two players who would probably be starters in Ramsey and Brooks as well. So we do have kind of a lot of options there. So I suppose... One way or the other, you know, the difficult, you know, the reason that Giggs is getting paid his money is to fit these people in in the right way. So I think, you know, he has got a difficult decision there to make. And whatever happens, you would like to think that would be good enough with the, with the four that either, either of us have suggested to, to overcome a team like Azerbaijan. I think that's where my concerns lie, Dave. It's not so much with the who's on the pitch, but what we're asking them to do positionally and response um, and their responsibilities on the pitch it's more the tactical formation and how we're enabling people to play to their best and play to their abilities and play to their strengths that's actually perhaps what I've got more concern about than the actual 11 guys that are on the field no, I, I agree. And I think that's why, again, I, I sound like a broken record now, that I'd do the Vokes thing from the start. And another reason I would do that as well is that, as you say, I, I don't think Giggs is using people to the best of, of their abilities, which is a problem. But equally, I think if if you're Azerbaijan and there's 30 minutes to go and it's nil-nil, who do you want to see coming off the bench? You want to see Sam Vokes, I'd imagine, someone who's going to be physical and kind of get up in your face you'd think with half an hour to go this lad's not going to run in behind this is probably the decision the thing I want to see whereas I think if you're doing it from the start he can tire them out he can rough them up he can have his runners going off them and with half an hour to go of the game and you're knackered who don't you want to see coming on off the bench you know you don't want to see Matondo you don't want to see Johnny Williams you don't want to see Tom Lawrence because they're fast they'll be terriers like you say be a pain in the ass. and I think and I think that, again, will exploit things the right way round. You talk about people playing to their strengths. Hal used to do that, you know, running the channels and everything else. So let's do that from the start. I, I mean, like I say, I think this is all irrelevant. I think um, Giggs is going to do what you've suggested. Um, I just think we need to be a little bit less predictable and, and play to our strengths. Um, okay, so we've if we just go very quickly through our through our lineups then, I'm going to say Hennessy in goal, 
Roberts at right back, Mepham and Ben Davis at centre back, Taylor at left back, Allen and Ampadu kind of holding midfielders, and then an attacking four of Bale on the right, Wilson as a ten, James on the left, and Vokes up top. Okay, so my changes to that would be Lockyer and then Ben Davis to the left. And obviously, as we've been discussing, I'd be starting with Johnny Williams rather than Vokes. Okay, and push Bale up top. Yeah, push Bale forward, at least initially. Um, I'd, I, the irony is, of you know, what, six, eight weeks ago, we actually had a conversation about whether if he wasn't playing for Real Madrid, would we, you know, was there a, a question of whether he should be in our starting 11? I mean, how, how things have turned around. Now he's, he's scoring, he's, you know, he's producing goals. I think I'd, I'd want him kind of running the show from the front, really. No, that's fair. And, I, and I, as I say, I, I don't... I, I think that is what uh, what Giggs will do as well. Um, speaking of Giggs, we've we've talked there about playing, uh, you know, playing time. How much stock do you think Giggs has kind of put into that or will put into that when he makes his uh, his selection? Because he said in the in the past playing, you know, is the most important thing to me. And then he's also said recently that, you know, it's important that he gets his best 11 on the pitch. So it kind of seems a little bit contradictory. What do you think? I mean, that's actually how I view it. I think he's contradicted himself a number of times on that particular issue um, as to whether he prioritises people having playing time and being current um, or whether he's looking for what is, you know, notionally the what he perceives as the best 11, regardless of what's going on with their clubs. I actually think it's, in some respects, early enough in the season, that provided someone's had a, uh, a pre-season and is fit and has played some football, I think this might be the point in the year where perhaps it's not quite as crucial. Uh, I think as you get deeper into the season and it's, it's, there's a longer window since people have had real regular game time, then perhaps it becomes more of a, of a question. Uh, but I actually think he's chilling and shallying on this. And I, I, I'm not honestly sure what his position is. If you'd have asked me six months ago, I'd have said I think he prioritises uh, the lads that are getting regular game time. But that, I'm, I'm not sure that's actually reflected in what he's then put on the pitch. I think it's a funny one, actually, when you look at it, because I think we're quite, and when I say we, I mean Wales football fans in general, I wouldn't say a fickle. But in terms of how rapidly the kind of consensus of opinion can change is is rapid. I mean, we, you know, eight, six, eight weeks ago, we were talking about should Bale start. Next thing, we're arguing about what position on the pitch he should be. Um, you know, six, you know, six months ago, we were talking about there's a lot of players who are playing regular football all the time. They've got to be in, you know, they've, you know, it's a good problem for Gings to have. Now we're saying he's got to pick his best 11. I think, I think it's difficult for him and us in that, everyone is going to go through cycles where your best player is not playing well or your best player is playing amazing but no other bugger is playing and at the minute you know we're sort of like this halfway house really because it's the start of the season as well I think in this instance to give Giggs some credit I think he's entitled to be pragmatic at, at this particular moment in time and I don't think it's important really that he has a policy of, I'm going to pick you if you're playing regularly for your club. Because if we're being brutally honest, we haven't got, apart from our attacking line, really, we haven't got any real selection dilemmas. We can create them, you know, and in this instance, you know, at the centre-back situation, for example, there is a dilemma there because people are injured. But ultimately, if he picks Ben Davis and plays centre-back, I'd say good. That's the correct decision. I think he's our. I think he's one of our best defenders. So I'd so I'd play him at centre half. Do you see what I mean? I feel like we're sometimes we as fans and the media because we want to talk about it so much are trying to create a problem where I'm not entirely sure there is one in this instance. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think of the of the eleven players we've talked about. Well, I suppose you know thirteen, fourteen. If you look at our options, the only ones that aren't actually playing that regularly are Ampadu and Davies and Hennessy and actually they you, you're not there aren't other people that you would put in those positions ahead of those three right now despite their lack of playing time I mean I think that's the thing if if he wanted to be brutal about it 
and say this is my policy, then you'd probably have to say then you'd probably have to start Matt Smith ahead of Ampadu in in holding in the midfield role because he has played more than any of the other alternatives. Um, and I, I, you know, but I I don't think that's the right decision. So I I think it'd be dangerous of him to kind of set a precedent to say playing for your clubs is one of the big important most important things because then he's kind of making a rod for his own back ultimately I don't think he can do anything especially at the minute especially against a team like Azerbaijan who do deserve respect but aren't a big team I think he's well within his rights to just be pragmatic at the minute and I think if we have big selection dilemmas further down the road because we've got a squad of 20 players and everyone's playing for their club then then that's different Um, but I do think at the minute he's entitled to be pragmatic about it all. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I think it's an odd thing to have been quite so public about when I agree. the circumstances can change so so rapidly on you as an international manager. Uh, but right now, I'm not sure it actually is such a such an issue um, because although we've been worrying about our players not getting game time with their clubs. It's actually relatively few of them, and they're such quality players that they they would at this stage at least they're probably going to be in your team anyway. I agree. I think the only kind of difficult one would be, let's say, Hennessy. I don't think he's going to get back in that team anytime soon. Um, if that was the case, and Dan uh, and Danny Ward was playing every week, then then there's a real issue there, I think, and a real discussion to be had. Um, but he's not playing either, so I, I just don't think at the minute I, I'm not I'm not sure it matters. And I think it's an interesting one. I had an interesting kind of debate with someone on Twitter today. I think, and I like I think you and I do it at times as well. Is that I do think at times people find a stick to beat gigs with, and ultimately he's, he hasn't got much of a choice. And you know the guy I was talking to on Twitter today was saying I'd rather Wales lose eight nil against Azerbaijan in a in a uh, on Friday because that'll hasten his demise and and get get him sacked. And I was, that's such a kind of narrow minded and kind of a short sighted maybe not narrow minded but short sighted view. Um, and I think it's because you and me and this guy on Twitter today don't fundamentally don't like gigs. We don't think he's the man for the job. I think if Chris Coleman was saying I want people to be playing all the time but then later changed his mind six weeks later because people weren't playing all the time I don't think he'd be given kind of any any airtime, and I I do think we as fans have also got to be consistent in our opinions a little bit I can't disagree with that but I think that example would be on the basis that Coleman had earned the uh, earned the kind of kudos and and standing to make those decisions. I'm, I think Giggs is still travelling that road and it's a bit of a wobbly journey. I do. I, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of that I agree with. I, I think maybe if you'd gone back to Coleman saying it even against, you know, we'd just lost 6-1 to Serbia and he, and he comes out, you know, the lads need to be playing every week. Well, I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a stupid example actually because he would have got stick there, wouldn't he? But... Um, I, I just think at a similar point in his reign, I don't think people would have given Coleman the same amount of grief. And I'm not trying to stand up for gigs. I, you know, I stand by my position. I don't think he's the right man for the job. But equally, it, it gets to a point where I think we as fans are being counterproductive. And I'm not sure we're there yet, but I think I do think some people um, are, we're getting to the point where we are starting to be a bit counterproductive, personally. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful because we we want to stand behind the team, don't we? So. I think collectively it's important that we're supportive of that. But I don't think being supportive means you can't question things either. No, that's true. And I, I think, I think you know, he's not earned enough yet, as you said there, to kind of be question-free and do what he wants. Um, but, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, like you say. It's kind of a, a wobbly a wobbly path to walk. Um I've I've gone through who I think gigs will start. Um and I'm, I'm interested in your opinion to see what you what you think. It's I think it's actually very similar. In fact, now I'm looking at it again. I think it is actually exactly the same as what you suggested. Um I think gigs will go Hennessy, Roberts, Mepham, Lockyer, Davis, Alan Ampadu, Wilson, Williams, James, and Bale. The only one I was thinking that he might play instead of Lockyer might be James Lawrence. Do you think he might get a game? I mean, I think that's very possible, particularly as he seems to have made a good start at um, 
temporally and obviously there's a little bit more consistency of, of experience there with with methem um so i can see that being a temptation definitely i think it's an interesting one i think he's desperate to kind of justify the inclusion of lawrence in the squad um because he's kind of plucked him from relative international obscurity and, and played him so i think he's i think Giggs is keen for that that find to go well and I think if it does then I think that he feels that he get should get more credit for that so I do think he kind of wants that to work so I am in two minds there I would not be surprised in any way to see Lawrence start that do you think he's rather wedded to that as a partnership then perhaps overly um perhaps a little bit and I think his decision making is becomes easier in the sense that Ash and James Chester aren't available because then he is dropping the two kind of senior players who took us to Euro 2016 and is replacing them with two novices, one of which we didn't know anything about, you know, about six or nine months ago. So I do think to an extent he is wedded to that. But I think he's also lucked out circumstantially, if that's a word, in the sense that he can be wedded to that because the alternatives around him are all still fairly inexperienced as well. Yeah, I think the inexperience might be might come into it. As a partnership experience, might be a reason to stay with Lawrence um, just to bring a little bit more uh, cohesion and familiarity there. So, But I, I'm not... Sh- as you were saying before, I'm not sure that the three of them that we were discussing, partnering Mepham, I'm I'm not sure that's a huge difference. There's not a huge difference in the quality of what you're getting. So you're making a decision more on how they work as a partnership, what experience they have as e- of each other, uh, their relative experience as international players, as opposed to just X is a better player than Y. I don't think it's that sort of decision i think it's more of a tactical decision and so on that basis i can see him going with lawrence just because that partnership with mepham is that just a little bit more established no i i can i can 100 percent see the logic in that and i think that's the only position i'm not sure about in in the whole team really is whether he'll go with lockyer or lawrence next to mepham i think that's the only the only grey area for me. So it'll be interesting interesting to see what he does. Um, talking there about experience, um, I think we cannot talk about this upcoming game without talking about the, the glaring omission, if you like, of the whole situation, which is going to be that Oshan Roberts is not going to be there and Robert Page um, has been promoted to one of Giggs's assistants. How do you think this, you know, his departure is going to impact the the main squad? Um, I don't think the immediate impact will be huge, to be honest. I think Paige is obviously familiar with some of those younger players. They're used to him. I'm not sure that Oshin perhaps had as much involvement as a coach as we would like to have seen, or perhaps Oshin wanted to be involved. Uh, so I'm not actually as so sure that in the very short term it's going to be a huge issue or a huge change i'm much more worried in the the wider scenario the progression between the age groups the work that often did with the trust i think the technical director aspect of his role is far far more of a concern than the first team sort of assistant coach role that he had uh, along alongside gigs I've written uh, in my notes for this almost exactly the same as what you just said uh, in the first instance. Perhaps not immediately felt in this campaign, but longer term, this is a huge issue. Um, I think he's transformed the younger age groups, academies, FAW Trust, the way we play. Um, My concern with this whole situation is that we don't just pick the, the most available Welsh person. We need to pick the best person for the job and we need to do what Oshan would have done, which would have been continue to develop things, um, improve things, not be satisfied with our lot and, you know, look at what, what we can push on and achieve next. I feel like for me, and I don't really have any kind of feelings one way or the other about Paige, but I feel like 
he is the the case of the most available Welshman. I mean, is he the person Giggs wants? Is he just the best person to to be available to join the staff? I just I just don't know that this is the right appointment in the in the bigger picture, or is it just the most available appointment? And I, I appreciate it's been sold to us as kind of like an audition, but I mean, I'm just I'm fascinated to how this is going to play out longer term. I mean, his his promotion from the twenty ones does feel like it's sort of the most expeditious solution to a coaching hole. I mean, I, I, on that basis, I'm not, I'm not so concerned about his involvement there because I think actually having some consistency from the 21s and the young nature of this, this particular squad, it might not be a bad, a bad thing right now. Um, as you say, is his experience actually the best partnership that Giggs needs? I'm not sure it is. Uh, but again, as we were saying, it's actually the technical director role that concerns me so, so much more. And I would, I would rather we take six months about finding the right person. I saw on FAW's uh, feed that they were talking about appointing someone in the next six to eight months. If it's the right person, fair enough. But I feel like we should be taking our, our time on this and ensuring that we get the, the right person that's going to be in place for, you know, five, six years, not jump at something. I just, yeah, I, I think you're right. Just to clarify, you said six to eight months there. I think you meant six to eight weeks. Um, yes, sorry. Yeah, they were talking about appointing within six to eight weeks. And like I said, I'd rather they took six to eight months if we actually get the right person. Yeah, and I just want to clarify that because I think that's really, really important. That scares the shit out of me. We've gone from someone running this show and then we're just going to... They said they're going to advertise for it. I mean, I, with all due respect, advertise for it. I mean, we're not looking for, you know, a new position at the butchers here. This is the most important role possibly in Welsh football. Um, and we're going to advertise for it. Why aren't we doing what the Moroccans did? And they have identified who they think the best person for the role is. And let's go out and get that person. Put an, you know, when are we going to put an advert in the gem? Like, I, I just think it's a. I just already am scared that we're kind of looking at this all wrong. And you know who I'm really scared is going to get the job. And I love him, but I'm really scared that Chris Coleman's going to get the job. I mean, the te- technical director is a very different role than a, a manager or your first team coach. You know, I think we need to be headhunting from. I, I mean, I don't know, from, from Holland, from even over this side of the Atlantic, the, the, some of the work that is being done um, in terms of the development structures at the clubs over here to, you know, to generate kids from, from 12-year-olds is amazing. So I think we have to look worldwide. I don't, much as I would like this role to be a Welsh person, it's far, far more important that it's the right person. And I don't particularly care where they come from. I mean, I, I, I could not agree more. I think um, just the way that it's been handled with the promotion of the other members within the coaching staff of Paige going up and Edwards going up, and I, for, I, I forget the others, uh, Bowden going up to the 21s. I, I, I feel like that is the exact sort of thing that I'm, I'm worried about. And I, and I really worry that them going up to those jobs is just... Uh, a square peg in a round hole or whatever the expression is and I think that you know if Bowden was good enough to do the under 21's job we should have got rid of Page and given Bowden the job if Edwards is good enough to step up to the 17's or 90's I, I, again I forget, the, I forget the order if he's good enough to step up to do that and replace someone else then we should have sacked the person who was doing that job and given Edwards the job I, I, I feel like this is it's coming across to me as haphazard, and I know I'm being harsh, um, but ultimately there are people who are being involved and want to be involved in Welsh football, and we're losing them. And I'm not saying now Bellamy, um, because I know he's obviously gone on and doing his job at Anderlecht, but he could have been a 21s coach. This could have been a pathway for him to be a Wales manager. Jack Collison has just left West Ham, and he's gone to Atlanta United over here in America. 
he could have come in and done that job if he's a good enough coach and a manager. And I'm just worried that A, people are being dropped from the system, but also we're not getting the right best people for the job. We're getting the most available people. And like I say, that is my massive issue with how we replaced Arshan, is that replace him, sorry, is that we're just going to get the most available person, not the best person. Are we scouring the the globe, as you say, looking for the best person? I, you know, apparently we're going to put an arm, you know, an ad in the Bajen Gazette or whatever. And I, I just, I, I'm just not having it. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with anything you say in there, Dave. I think the concern for me of that kind of dominoing in all the age groups was it, it that just feels like something that made sense around a a board table, not something that actually really makes sense around a football pitch I, I i totally agree and i just the short-sightedness really concerns me and i i appreciate here that i'm looking at a, a, a wider thing and i'm i am rambling but and my thing is sorry that watford and man city do it that they plan for their manager to be stolen they plan for their um players to get injured and they plan for them to retire they know when that's going to happen they they've they've looked at their stats and they know at 31 this player is going to start to become slow what do we do to replace them they have a database of players they're scouting around the world so that they know when this player or that player gets injured um, they know who they're aiming and who they're targeting to replace them with they do the same for managers they do the same with coaching staffs um, they do the same for the technical directors everyone has got a short-term, a medium-term, and a long-term replacement. And I think looking at how our management replacement, the staff that have come with him, and now how we replace Oshan, I think this is something that we need to put into place. We can't keep gambling that people are going to do a good enough job when they get there. And I know I'm being really harsh, but we can't lose Oshan and replace him with someone of a subpar quality. Longer term, we need to plan for these eventualities. We need to have a list of people drawn up and who we want if this person goes or if this happens or that happens. And I think that this hopefully is a wake-up call to the FAW that they need to stay on a modern uh, pathway and trend, if you like, of how other clubs and countries are operating so that we continue to get the best people in and around Welsh football and we don't kind of go back to the olden days of, right, that person's left, we'll put an ad in the paper and we'll see who turns up and applies for the job. No, no, we need to go after the best people. And I think this needs to serve as a bit of a wake-up call to the FAW that we maybe perhaps need to um, revisit the way that we do a, a lot of our administrative stuff. I mean, I think this problem with Oshan I think goes back to the problem with replacing Coleman in that there wasn't it wasn't approached in that way that you're describing it wasn't approached you know two years out there wasn't a plan you know this contract is going to end here if it's not renewed what are we doing or if we choose not to renew it what are we doing it was almost as though it was a surprise that they felt that Chris Coleman was almost inevitably somehow going to sign on the dotted line. I think, and, and I think Oshin's departure is a very direct consequence of what happened in and around, in and around that decision. And we've covered that before, but I think what you're saying, the fact that, for example, the people that they interviewed when Giggs was appointed, there doesn't seem to be anyone on that interview list that we headhunted it seemed to be entirely people who'd put themselves forward. Why was there not at least a candidate that we were going after proactively, that we'd identified as someone that we felt could work well with our, with, in our organisation and we hadn't gone after him? Now, I might be being unfair to the FAW. That might, they may have done that and it might have, you know, might not have come to anything but I haven't seen any evidence of that and I think in this day and age when um, so much is done through as you say a kind of funneling of experience and, and an aim and a big picture we have ironically a great big picture when it comes to the FAW trust and we've just lost the head of that and I think if we're not careful the the 
the chips are going to fall so haphazardly that we, we have the potential to lose so much that we've gained. And I think we just have to be really, really wise and smart and careful with this. No, I, I think I, I think we're in total agreement of each other there. And I think there's there's no doubt that, you know, lessons need to be learned and we need to kind of progress in a sensible way. Um, to move to move things back to the two games that we have, we haven't mentioned the Belarus game, and I don't want to spend too much time on this um, purely because we've been talking for a while. Um, but it's obviously a friendly. Um, Giggs seems to favour the idea of doing like a, a first team and a second team, an A and a B almost, uh, two different teams, and I don't see any reason why he won't do the same here. Um, I think it's pointless playing... Um, Danny Ward in goal I think it's worth giving Davis a shot um, I think we may as well not risk any of our kind of key players or piss off their clubs and I think someone like Gunter it's worth him playing at right back because he's not getting any game time at the minute it's worth keeping him kind of match fit I'd give Rod in his debut probably alongside whichever one doesn't start of Lawrence and Lockyer uh, and then Taylor at left back Again, a lot of that is through to do with a lack of options to to an extent. Um, Smith and Volks starting in centre midfield, and then and then you kind of chuck them up in the air and see who lands. I'd start more up front as the number nine, and then either Matondo or Lawrence with Johnny Williams in a ten, and then either Hedges or Woodburn. Hedges have been playing very well for Aberdeen uh, on the other side, so that's what I think he'll go for. Unless we lose or we don't win the game against Azerbaijan, which I appreciate is a negative thought, but. If we don't win that game, um, I'd like to see our full strength starting eleven um, out there. To be honest, and and go and prove to people what you know what they can do and work on things and get things right. I I don't really want to go down that road. Just I know I'm being negative, but um, yeah, that is my uh, my outlook on seeing, on things there. I would certainly like to see Rodden get his first cap. I'd like to see Hedges play. I think he's been playing, as you said, really well for Aberdeen. Um, I'd like to see Woodburn play because I think he's at a point where his confidence hopefully is really developing, playing, playing well for Oxford. And I'd like him to have a positive experience in the, in the national team. Um, probably the same argument for Smith and Vokes, uh, given, given they, you know, they're not playing, hardly playing or not playing terribly well for their two teams at the minute. I think that that would be a good partnership. So all in all, I, I probably don't disagree with the starting 11 that, that you put forward. Uh, I certainly don't see any point in, in, you know, in playing our top name players uh, in a friendly, particularly when you're going to have, we're going to have such a busy uh, autumn season of internationals. I think we want to stay on the good side of clubs as well by not, not putting too much pressure on some of those players. No, I think that's fair. Um, and I think Rodden getting his debut is one of the key ones for me. Uh, in, in, in that and making sure that he's starting to get game time so we do have plenty of experience and opportunity for those younger players in the, in the defensive line. Do we want to do predictions? can't believe I actually said that oh God. sentence out loud. Uh, yes, please. Um, so before we finish and move on to the women's, uh, women's game, sorry, we'll do some quick predictions. Uh, I think we will beat Azerbaijan 3-0 and I think Gareth Bale will score a brace and I think it'll be a messy game against Belarus that we will draw 0-0. Okay, I'll go for 2-0 in the first game. Um, I'll go Bale and James. Nice. And then, I can, actually I can see the, sec- the second game being a bit of a nothingness sort of game. Maybe a 1-1 draw, but I think a draw is actually a really likely outcome for that game because I, I think we'll be going down the B-team approach with a whole load of players that haven't played together, some new caps. Just To be honest, just fulfilling the fixture, really. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so there you are, ladies and gents. Go and you know, rush down to the betting shop with your £10 notes and go and do the exact opposite of, uh, of what we've just said and you'll be guaranteed to, to be millionaires. Um, it's worth pointing out, though, that I went to the horse racing with my wife on the weekend and uh, I, won a, I came up at $100 up overall. So, you know, maybe as a tipster, I'm just in the wrong sport. I'm just shit at football predictions, but maybe horse racing predictions is the, uh, is the way forward for me. You just realised you've scuppered any future success you might have on the horses. Nah, to be honest, it's an absolute miracle it happened this time round, so I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference. To talk about the women's games, um, 
6-0 victory over the Faroe Islands. Uh, Tash Harding got a hat-trick. One was an own goal from Tash Harding's run kind of cross. Uh, Rhiannon Roberts, after we interviewed her, got her first international goal and an assist in that game as well. Um, Jones got uh, the second goal and we won 6-0. A great game of football um, for Wales in terms of the result. Aggressive, controlled the ball well, used position, possession well for the most part. The two, um, I think we were 2-0 up after four minutes. That kind of settled the game. And despite Laura O'Sullivan having a bit of a moment at 2-0, um, we didn't really look troubled and kind of controlled the game. Um, they weren't stretched, and that's why I'll give them a bit of leeway for some kind of sloppy passing and, and iffy finishing. I mean, we had 22 shots in that match and 12 on target. I mean, we were legit, and we missed a penalty. I mean, we could have won that 10-0, and it wouldn't have been, um, wouldn't have been fair on on the fairers. I mean, we could have put more past them, but Tash was outstanding. I thought um, the wingers and the fullbacks uh, were kind of a menace the whole game, and I thought Ingle was class in that libero role that we've talked that we talked to Rhiannon about. How much of the games did you manage to watch? I've only managed to see some highlights. There was some nice interchange play down the right between Rhiannon and, and uh, Tash that I, I really enjoyed watching. And um, and Rhiannon did say she liked her header, didn't she, when she was on the on the podcast? She did. Uh, but, but overall, I mean, it, it obviously was a very pleasing result. And I think to, to see them scoring goals, given the problems they've had recently... That was a very positive start to the campaign. Obviously, things have changed a little bit today. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we won't go into too much detail because obviously we're hoping to have this conversation with Tash herself uh, in the next week or so. But I think I was very, very... In fact, I think I was the most frustrated I think I've been since watching uh, the, the, this team play. I thought we were really, really disappointing. I thought we didn't stretch Northern Ireland we didn't pressure them as much as we could have done um, and the goals really have just come from blundering not blundering our through through his heart it's just kind of being aggressive more than being skillful and I think we ended up kind of dropping to their level rather than Northern Ireland dragging themselves up to ours I thought we kind of dropped to their level and, and it was it was a poor performance I thought it was disjointed um and it's, you know, I thought Howard great James had a great game. She was fantastic. I thought Sophie Ingle had a great game. Um, both of those in the central midfield area. They're both, but they both, both had so much to do all the time. Um, Megan Wynn came on and changed the game. Um, soon after she came on, we scored and went 2-1 up. And, you know, I thought she was great with her directness and her running. But you just it's criminal to go into a game in the 94th minute, leading 2-1, and come out of that game with a point it's just for me you just can't do it at professional elite level if we want to qualify for a tournament you cannot make those mistakes and this is super harsh I appreciate that but you know this is going to be a tough group and I think we've massively had a had a going to rue I think dropping those two points today yeah I think that's the concern isn't it it's three points at home that we really should have had and as you say, in a tight group, to make to make that up somewhere else is, is going to be so, so hard. Um, some lessons to learn, I think, Dave. I think there was clearly some underperformances. I mean, you've highlighted some of the better performance, but there was some underperformances in terms of uh, the, just the care of the ball and the sort of maturity and, and something they... they so good at last campaign in terms of just being very careful in possession, defending tight, defending tidily. Um, it was though, as though all those lessons had, had just been shelved somehow. I agree. I, I think the one thing that's beginning to ring an alarm bell for me is Laura O'Sullivan. And I, I feel really bad saying this given, you know, how, how great she has been for us in the past. But in the last few games, and we've talked about it after the New Zealand game, is that we I feel like teams have targeted her at corners a little bit. Um, she's kind of flapped at a few crosses and dropped a few things. And it was really noticeable today that Northern Ireland focused on that. I mean, there are a few things. She dropped an early shot, which she did recover, but she kind of flapped at it and dropped it. And obviously that's where the goals come. And I feel for her because it can be no one else's fault. But in the 94th minute of that game, 
it, you've, I don't even know what she's trying to do. You've just punched the ball away. She's flapped at it. She can't make her mind up, and she's pushed it straight into the Northern Ireland player. And teams have targeted her for that, and I and I think that that is going to keep happening. And either she needs to work on it, or we need to be proactive and recognise it's going to happen and do more to help her. Because when the ball comes in, and I appreciate she's flapped at it and she shouldn't, but there is no, no Wales players near her, and and no one reacts really. The Northern Irish player is just kind of on the line and just pops it in from nowhere so I mean I, I think that's a real disappointment for me is how that goal has been conceded and and also the first goal was abysmal defending and as you say from being so tight um, and so good at the back to give away the the two goals we've, we have to date Jane Ledlow will be absolutely furious yeah I mean I think that well there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from this game isn't there and I, th- I think you've highlighted some of the some of the pressure points that are developing on some of the players. And I, I think it's always difficult for goalkeepers. They are so exposed. Um, and I think it's easy to, to make problems seem like they're one person's problems when actually it might be a wider collective defensive sort of supporting roles um, as well, but particularly for the first goal that just wasn't there. Um, but... It's just a really disappointing result. I can't pretend I'm nothing but gutted by today's result. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe this is, you know, we are talking a couple of hours after the game. I think we perhaps need to go and reflect a little bit and and, and come back and look at it again as well. I'm sure we will with Tash. But um, yeah, you know, as you said, a very, a very ultimately, I'm, I'm disappointed and gutted is, is absolutely the words um, there. It's an it's a negative note to finish on, unfortunately. Um, but your battery is about to die and I need to make my tea. So uh, we will call it quits there. Um, we are hopefully going to have a interview with Tash to talk about these two games uh, in the next week or 10 days. We'll have a review pod for you, hopefully, after these two Wales games for the men against Azerbaijan and Belarus. Um, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, Ruth, is there anything else you want to add? No, just thanks, folks, for for listening and, and supporting what we're doing appreciated um, so there you go thank you very much for listening we will speak to you soon enjoy the Wales game against Azerbaijan come on the boys